Hi, I'm Diane Hullett, and welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm excited today to be joined by a special guest, uh, Julie McFadden. Julie has um, kind of become this social media sensation over the last few weeks. I'm sure she wouldn't necessarily agree with that, right, Julie? But you can find her at Hospice Nurse Julie um, on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Hi, Julie. Hi, Diane. Thank you for that amazing intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I learned about Julie because um, articles started showing up about the work she was doing. And I really valued it because I think what Julie's trying to bring to these new social media platforms is really a conversation. And of course, that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole I think once the articles hit, it seemed like um, it hit a broader scale of people. So it's been crazy, but it's been really good. And that's like my main thing is I just wanted to get the conversation started about death and dying and having it hit a little more mainstream. So it was exciting. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just been exciting. It's and, been an exciting couple of weeks. Well, yeah. oh, back up, back up, totally back up and tell us like, so Julie's a hospice nurse and she has conversations and puts tips up on social media, but how did you, how did you get into the work that you're doing? Well, I've been a nurse for about 14 years. I kind of lose track, but I think, I think it's 14 (laughs) around there. And I was an ICU nurse for most of my career. So um, because of that, so just a side note, I was gung-ho after nursing school about being a nurse. I mean, I think most nurses are, they're excited. They want the best thing and they can't wait to learn. And that was me. And I got an ICU job. I moved away from my, my hometown and I got this ICU job at this big uh, hospital. And I was really proud of that. And two years into that job, I was like soul crushed (laughs) and defeated and burnt out. Sorry, that was my computer, I think burnt out and just, and just really jaded with being a nurse and I, and healthcare. And I was like, this can't be why I'm for some reason, right. I'm not saying every ICU nurse would feel this way, but I know I did. And I'm glad I started there and I stayed way too long. I stayed for another, you know, I was there nine years and I moved around a lot of different facilities. I did travel nursing. I tried different things. Um, But my whole point is I didn't feel how I feel now about nursing. It was like, I made the wrong decision. I'm not supposed to be a nurse. Um, And all because, at least for me in the ICU, it felt very like you need to care, obviously, about humans, uh, but you need to hurry up. Like there's no, like you can't like, you can't take the time to talk to the families or the patient about what's truly happening to them. You know, the bigger picture, are they really going to survive this? Are they really going to get out of here? if they do get out of here, what's their life going to look like? And if, and I felt like if they truly knew what we were saying as healthcare workers to each other about what their future held, they probably would make a different choice. I think, I think they would have been like, wait, what? I'm not going to live for, this isn't going to help me live for another, however, 20 years, you know, like, and this isn't for everybody, but there's a lot of people that I felt like we did a disservice to because we weren't fully honest about the end goal, which was likely death. Right. And if right. that was death, kind of in the medical thing of speed and yes, speed and, and what's the creatinine and, and what's the yes, yes. It was like it was like we were we were we were and in the ICU you're super detailed and I get it because you're trying to keep people alive, you know. So 
you know, what's the urine output every hour? What's their lab work every other hour? You know, so it was very like, and, and families would focus on that because we're telling them these things instead of focusing on the bigger picture of if you knew your loved one was going to die in three months, most likely, do you want them to be here or do you want them to be at home dying with you peacefully and spending their last few months with you not worrying about what their creatinine level is and what their urine output is and being in a hospital bed, right? So anyway, so that made me, I, I saw this, this happening over the years and I think that slowly kind of killed me. <laughs> um, and it made me passionate about death and dying and trying to learn how to talk about that. And there are a few really good attendings that would round that would, that would do that, right? And they'd be here for two weeks and then they'd leave and another one would come. So during those two weeks, I would like soak up everything they would be saying. And I'd be thinking this, this is what we need. This is what I want to do. I want to talk to people about the truth of the matter, which is a really hard thing to say, but it's the truth and people need to know. Anyway, so that's how I got into Eventually, I got my first hospice job once I moved to California. And at that job, I had this amazing attending hospice doctor that we would do face-to-faces together, meaning her and I would visit the patients together. And I would hear her have these hard conversations. And like basically everything I regurgitate on my videos is like stuff I've learned from her. She's just so amazing. Wow. And yeah. And now, now I'm a nurse that loves her job. I never thought I could. Uh, I have a really good work-life balance and I love what I do. I, I really feel like I'm one of those people that even if I had millions of dollars, I still would maybe not do it 40 hours a week, but, <laughs> but I still would do it. I yeah. still would do it because I yeah. really like it. It's like, I found where I fit. Wow. So you sort of were able to transition from this high intensity, non-satisfying aspect of nursing into something that really suited you. And I'm always struck by that. I, I feel like I know so many nurses and they all work in really different aspects of nursing. And that's such a cool thing about nursing to me that there's such a range. Yeah, I know. I always try to tell nurses if you're not, I think, I think it's really easy to kind of get stuck in this place of like, I've been here for a bunch of years, so I'm just going to stick it out. I'm so glad I didn't do that to myself. I'm so glad I left because for a while it was harder. You know, I tried, I was an ICU nurse most of the time, but intermittently I would do pre-op or post-op. I would try different things and nothing was fitting. So I started being like, it must be me, you know? So I would always encourage nurses who are unsatisfied with what they're doing before they just say, I hate nursing altogether. Or I would really try. I mean, you're a nurse, you're needed everywhere. There's so many different kinds of nursing try to be, uh, it takes, I think it takes bravery because I had to, I felt scared moving around, but um, I'm really glad I did because I made it work for me, you know? Yeah, made it work for you and, and made a difference in all these families you work with now. So now you've been a hospice nurse for like five years, five years. Yeah. And then something inspired you to start putting up these short videos, these um, warm, charming, truthful videos on TikTok and Instagram about end of life. So how did that come about? <laughs> yeah, that was, it's been, it's been in the works for a while, just in my head, I mean, and I'm kind of like you, it was like, do I start a podcast? Like, how do I get this information out there? Because I would help my friends and family with their dying relatives or a friend of a friend. And I'd be talking to them about the things I would know. And they're all their reactions would be, I wish I would have known this before. Wow, I can't believe X, Y, and Z. This is amazing. You should really tell people about this. And I forget that like, this isn't common knowledge <laughs> and yes. people don't yeah. seek out this information. 
So um, yeah, I was going to start a podcast and then I was like, this is really hard and a lot of work. And I don't know how to edit these things. <laughs> so I went home to see my nieces who are like tween uh, ages and they were on TikTok. And initially, of course, everyone makes fun of you. Like, it's hard not to make fun of TikTok because you're like, this is so stupid. Everyone's doing dances. What's the point of this? Um, I felt like an old, old lady. Uh, the more I watched it, the more I was like, you found really great creators. I was like, this is kind of cool. So I made a few videos. I was like, I'm just going to try this. I literally made probably 10 videos. I put out three a day for like three or four days. And by the fourth day, because I looked back by the fourth day, one of the videos took off and it's been kind of like that ever since. It's kind of nuts. I mean, Julie and I just looked it up this morning. She's she's made 226 posts on Instagram. And on Instagram, she has 31,000 viewers. Yeah. <laughs> and on TikTok, you have 480,000 viewers. So yeah. you know, a lot of people are seeing this information. And I love it too, because I think I'm, I'm not on TikTok at this point, because I think of it as sort of like, oh, that's something that people under 15 do. Yeah. But I don't, I doesn't seem like it. You've really brought it to this whole other audience that way. Yeah. I am just as surprised as anyone else. Um, it's funny. My, my niece who's 12, uh, put up her own TikTok that was like, um, <laughs> just, to, um, my aunt may, is viral on TikTok, but it's mostly old people and adults who watch her. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still not cool in her eyes, but yeah, I think there's a whole population of people out there that are, that are not teenagers. Um, although teenagers, I think can watch my stuff if they want to. Like, I think it's, a I think that's the problem is people think like, oh, kids can't listen. It's like, uh, I think, I think we can, I think we can educate children as well. I mean, uh, probably it's like a little more sensitive, but in general, I'm okay with I'm, I'm not saying anything that's too outrageous that I think people can't. Absolutely. Well, I think it used to be more common knowledge. There was a great line. I was reading um, a beginner's guide to the end. Um, oh, I don't have the author right in front of me, but a wonderful book called a beginner's guide to the end. And the authors make the comment, wouldn't it be great if in addition to sex ed and driver's ed in high school, we also had death ed. <laughs> so. Yes. I sort of like that. I thought that was a great idea. Probably not going to happen anytime soon, but why do you think it, why do you think this has struck such a chord in these last few months? You know, I was, so I was hoping it would, I wasn't sure if it would, because even my own parents are like, I don't want to hear you talk about this, you know? Um, so I wasn't sure, but it seems like it has. And I think it's because everyone will die, including myself right? It's not like I'm, uh, I'm not going to either. Uh, and I think it's like everybody, it hits everybody. This, this happens to everybody. So you, if you're not dead yet, you've, you've taken care of someone dying or you've experienced this. Um, I get a lot of people who've had really bad, what they think is a bad experience, right? And who have watched my videos and then written to me and said, you know, when you explained what happened and how it's all normal, I realized my grandpa didn't have a bad death. That was everything I saw him doing. I didn't know was a normal part of death and dying. So I think it just hits us. It hits everybody, right? So people, um, for some reason now, are willing to listen. And maybe they would have before, too. I don't know. I, I just started this six months ago. but I'll be hits, so curious where it goes in six months. I, I think there's yeah. something so powerful about what you just said. It's like, how do we normalize our past experiences with death and understand 
you know, how to fit them into a framework of um, was that good for the dying person? Was it hard for the dying person? What about for me, the experiencer who's still alive? So kind of framework on past deaths and then also framework on current, like sitting with friends who are ill or older relatives who are dying or younger relatives or friends who are dying. How do we, how do we put a framework on that? I, yeah. I just heard a powerful story. A friend was telling me this morning that um, a friend of hers, the father was about to make a decision to um, you know, have some complicated procedures and end up in a rehab home. And somebody went and talked to him and said, do you really want to do this? Or do you just want to go home and be with your family? And instead of the complicated procedures that may or may not have prolonged his life, but certainly would have ended him up in a facility, he decided to go home. And he's lived for three more months in this very loving community of family and friends. And, you know, what, what, a, what a great ending, but it took that truth telling. Yes, that just gave me chills because it's like that healthcare worker, whoever it was, just to me, just made a huge difference in that man's life. And the we life were willing of his to have son. a kind of difficult conversation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the life of his son who's there with yes. him and the life of this little, um, happens to be a little mountain town in Boulder that, that, that have kind of rallied around this, this gentleman. So, yeah, well- um, you've already kind of said this, but you know, why, why do you think it's important to have conversations about the end of life and death? So that's actually, okay. So it was the number one reason why I wanted to start, uh, tick, not TikTok, but something it happened to be TikTok <laughs> is because what I've seen one to educate, right? Like true education about death and dying. But the biggest thing was the more I saw, like, this is, this is the main thing I see in a pattern of all of my patients, the people who are willing to have, have hard conversations, admit that they're dying, you know, like say the word, like when I die and families who are around them and also willing to talk about it. They seem to have a, a, a better life before they die and a more peaceful death. There is something about this like willingness to talk about it and acceptance of the inevitable which will ebb and flow on day-to-day different times. You know, I'm not saying you're just going to have acceptance and then ever feel acceptance. You're going to have bad days too. But like the, the, the people that I saw who were willing to do that had such a um, better ending of their life and, and a more peaceful death. And then people who weren't, it's like issue after issue, pain after pain, um, existential problems, actual physical problems, um, and not a peaceful death. And that's not, that's not like I am generalizing, but mm-hmm. it's enough that I felt like I need to tell people about this yeah. and people need to start, start being willing to listen to about what, what death may look like for them and how to, and the more you're willing, the more open you are, it seems like the better you live and the more peaceful you die. Um, for the most part, you know, every once in a while, there's, there's things where you're like, damn, you know, you want, you want it to be easier, but it's not always that easy, but, but a lot of times it is. And I want people to know that. Yep. Yep. And it takes the conversation. I think the, the, the having those conversations and, and a a big theme that's come up in these podcast conversations I've had with people recently is, is also the theme of having those conversations before you think you need to have the conversation. Like when you need to have the conversation, it's maybe too late to have the conversation. So that's a whole, that's a whole element of this. The whole like, Oh, I'll take care of that later. It's like, no, no, that's now. 
the maybe, later's now. Maybe <laughs> today is the day or this week. And I do, I think these things are so, it's one of the things I love about the best three months courses that I teach because people come out with these really specific action steps. And that takes it out of this theoretical place of like, oh, I should, and I ought to, and I know I should think about that stuff and gets it really concrete, which I think is so, so amazing. Well, thank you so much, Julie. This is, I'm so delighted and I can't wait to see where all your social media and website and other pieces go because I really feel like you, you know, you and I are kind of walking in the shadow of some great hospice people like Barbara Carnes, um, you know, incredible end of life people who have touched so many through their work. And, you know, we're just kind of the next generation coming forward or in our case, the next generation and then the next generation because you're younger than me. But it's yeah, like, we're all it's in this new, together. We're all, in, we're this all together. in this together. Yeah, I think creating conversations. Well, wonderful. What, um, tell me something you're grateful for today. Oh my gosh, so many things. Health. I don't say that bl- blase. Like I, I, I do a gratitude list every night and on my list every night is health because uh, you do take it for granted. It's very easy to um, just take for granted that we can walk and talk and eat and do all the things. So health, um, talking, having these conversations with you. And today I'm going to get out. It's sunshine. It's it's sunny and warm-ish here. And I'm going to see some friends. It's just the day-to-day stuff that makes me, you know, live in the present and uh, be grateful for that. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Julie. You can find out more about Julie at Hospice Nurse Julie. You can find out more about the work that I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. Thanks so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too, Diane.